Hello, darlings. Welcome to this slightly chaotic episode of Dead Darlings. Just to let you know, we've got no book club this month and in fact, no Laurie or almost no Laurie because he was on holiday. But stay tuned at the end of the episode because he has provided our poem of the month this month. We'll get started in a sec, but before we do, I've also got some rather exciting news. Um, As you'll hear in the episode, uh, I've got a pamphlet coming out this month. It's called Where the Lights Come On, and it's published by Allographic, which is the publishing house run by a friend of the podcast, the wonderful Faye Roberts. When we recorded the episode, I hadn't actually set up my online shop yet, but I have now. Uh, So if you would like to pre-order yourself a copy, you can do so by visiting rebeccakcooney.bigcartel.com. So Big Cartel is B-I-G-C-A-R-T-E-L dot com. You should also be able to purchase it in ebook form on Kindle, Kobo and Lulu. If not already, then certainly within the next couple of days. So if that is your shtick, uh, yeah, take a look on whichever is your preferred platform. Uh, I'm so excited and I really hope you like it. Anyway, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Hannah Hutzpah. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from the spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. And this month we will be interviewing none other than Daisy Thurston Gent. Heck yes. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So you'll notice we have no Laurie Eves with us this month. Don't worry, Laurie stands. We know you're out there. He'll be back in time for our next episode. And also in Laurie's absence, we're not going to have a hot topic. But what have you guys been up to since the last episode? Hannah, what have you been up to? It's been a it's been a long while because we took a little hiatus. So I'm trying to fill in. It's more than a month's worth of stuff. Um, I have accidentally become part of the furniture at the Genesis Poetry Slam. So I am now um, at the moment... (laughs) either timekeeping or on the music um, as Laurie Eves, our uh, currently silent partner, is is now hosting that gig. Although I can tell that Laurie is absolutely itching to be on the music. Laurie is such a giant music nerd that although he is hosting, one of the jobs that I have occasionally had is like, pick a track to go after each performer has gone up. So you'll be like on Spotify going, they said something about being nervous maybe what what nervous thing song can I think of and it's a bit of a weird pressured it's really cool but it's a bit of a weird pressured thing and I can increasingly tell that Laurie kind of wants that bit of the gig more than the hosting <laughs> it's really I'm enjoying it it's a very interesting little dynamic you can you can see when he's had a really good idea and he's trying to get your attention <laughs> no, this one this one this one <laughs> uh, there was a there was a moment where it looked like we were going to stage a bit of a dead darlings takeover of, of genesis because i kind of got roped into helping out as well which i would love to do but i kind of ended up saying to laurie look i actually quite enjoy competing at genesis and i would rather <laughs> keep doing that if at all Fair. possible so i'm kind of i'm kind of on the reserve list for helping out because you want the gongs i want the gongs uh i don't just think i don't really care about winning but i do like getting more goes to perform mm. and i like performing at the royal albert hall and if yeah, you win you that's what you get but yeah um mm. uh, i tell you another thing that all, all three of us were at actually uh, mm-hmm. since the last episode which i may ask uh tyrone if he's got the audio for us to do it as an episode at some point um so we had the last ever boomerang combined with we london did. queer writers hosting uh yeah a, a night of basically fucking fantastic poetry in aid of funding Kaz Teague's top surgery um and it was a night at the Jago and it was just it was just wonderful I mean I cried about four times that night giant loving it was it was extremely it was was a loving it was it was it was some of my favorite people all in the same room when does that happen and it just felt like how about you guys I felt like I you know I wandered into a poetry night about what 2015 and made a bunch of friends and then suddenly they're all in this room and we've all sort of grown up in different ways and we've lost people and we've been through so much and people have fallen out and made up and moved out nights have spawned communities yeah Yeah, Mm. and it, it it just felt like oh shit this is this is what it is to be in a community isn't it this is really something and i kind of had that 
that weird moment of like grieving something while it's still happening <laughs> yeah it could have gone mm. one of one of two ways i mean it was only ever going to be fantastic and you know for an amazing cause raising money for for casti but it could have been you know overly emotional and you know it was the right level of emotional which was you know peak emotional but it was <laughs> it was fantastic it was it was the poetry family and um it was the essence of community and i think both our nights have community at the very heart of what we do and why we why we do it um and it may be the last boomerang but the work that those that team have put in over the years it kind of stems off into this whole ecosystem right um L- london queer writers yeah. is one strand of that um yeah and I mean I got to a point I got a bit like like you were saying about being emotional it was it was a lot of laughing through tears I felt laughing through very shiny eyeballs um but um <laughs> yeah it, it, there was a point where because Joel is living south of the river now and AJ uh, Antonio J King is living south of the river and I sort of said look I know of somewhere south of the river where we might be able to run a poetry night and I, I got very swept up in the emotion and this narrative of oh from this community other communities will spawn and I was like this would narratively and poetically be so right if we started like I don't mm-hmm. have fucking time to run a poetry night I don't <laughs> have time to run this fucking podcast and yet and yet and yet you're tempted I may have unleashed that upon myself. I will. I will let you know if that is a thing. Amazing. But yeah, of course. No, uh, me and me and Jake were messaging, and it it was you know London queer boomerang question mark, and it just you know of course we were <laughs> going to say yes. Of course that was going to happen. I'm sorry. That implies there was ever a London straight boomerang, and it, it was not a particularly straight space. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't. And you know, London queer writers, I myself don't live in London anymore. Um, and I haven't done for the last two years. So it is um, very hard to, to carry on the beacon of London queer writers. Um, but those spaces do, they're better um, and more needed in the smaller parts of the country where there isn't, mm. you know, exclusive queer spaces or even poetry nights that are happening regularly. Um, and I think... Mm. Yeah, the smaller towns, you know, Cambridge as one is is crying out for a regular poetry night um, that, that champions queerness, really. Um, mm. And so I'm kind of hoping that in the coming years, once I decide where to settle, um, settle my feet for a minute, um, hopefully London queer writers can, you know, do these these pop up and these collaboration events um, and bring our, you know, our energy and our expertise to um yeah, and I like collaborations. I love doing takeovers. I love working with other poetry nights around the country. I'm really into that. Mm. Yeah, and it is when you start to realise all these little traditions that spring up in different nights and things like, you know, stuff like new shit, stuff like yeah. stuff like random. There are just in-jokes that, like, different nights will have their own little traditions and sort of, yeah, when you combine those together, they become quite good fun and, yeah, really interesting. I think it should be fun, you know. For, for a while, um, you know, especially over the pandemic, poetry became very a lot of the joy was was taken away and the joy of being together in a single space um Mm. was taken away from us and I was so I was very overwhelmed to be back in that room at we did it upstairs at the Jago which is where London queer writers used to have our regular uh, monthly um, open mic night and it was incredibly emotional being back in that room you know and it's a very emotional space you know it's a the palimpsest of all the the nights that have come before that we've we've hosted in that room and the people who have been in that room um it was a it was the only place for it really yeah it was amazing uh anything else you've been up to in the last month or so daisy poetry wise so i have moved out of london so i've um but i have come back i still work in london and i attended the outspoken um may edition which was the kind of big event in uh the queen elizabeth hall at the south bank center um, it had Kay Tempest performing, Travis Alabanza, um, oh, and Daljit Nagara, um, music from um, kind of a, a techno indie band, I'm going to say, called Stanley. Um, yeah, I love I love poetry and music, and I think Outspoken do it incredibly well, and it was just a very um, luxurious night to be in that huge space, mm-hmm. um, and the energy of Joelle Taylor hosting is always, you know, oh, fan yeah. favourite. Yep. She's going to be playing Puck in a Midsummer Night's Dream at some point. I saw on what? Twitter, right? right. right. Oh Daisy, Daisy and Hannah have both just their jaws have just dropped open. Fuck, that's amazing. I want to see that right now, now, now. Right, right. <laughs> oh my god, it's going to be brilliant. I mean, Great trip. Yes, please. Yeah, genius casting. But yeah, it's just great to be able to have a poetry event in that sort of space that is like this really prestigious, large, 
and prestigious mm. arts venue you know it, it's yeah. great to just be oh yeah no poetry can do it we can we can hold a night there that's fine we can do that yeah. and it still managed to, to feel intimate you know the room was absolutely packed and it was very much you know that space people come and go and you know there's always people who have to leave it's a very kind of festival vibe if if you have been to an outspoken event at the Queen Elizabeth Hall even gigs I go to there people come and go but it still was intimate you know people were still hanging on every word I wept um at Kay Tempest's final poem um about kind of trans inclusivity and oh it was it was very emotional um so that was that was my I think my highlight from my poetry month that's pretty awesome um so uh my poetry month I I have some news having been having spent the last few months being a bit reclusive Drunk. and not really uh and sort of going oh I haven't really done anything or you know um so you know I I recommended that everybody should apply for Glastonbury because it's an open application and you never know you never know um yeah I got in um you never know Ooh. but I'm performing at Glastonbury which is yes. in Glastonbury yes, yes. Um, yes. And I am yes, very, very excited about this and uh, trying not to bore too many people with it. How long did you have to keep that under your hood for? Uh, it was a good couple of months. Uh, and I was a bit like, Ooh. can I tell people yet? Can I tell people yet? And also, who else is on the lineup? Because mm. who else am I going to know? Uh, L. Dylan Reams is also on the lineup, which yeah. is going to be fantastic. Uh, she's wonderful. And because um, also, I was a bit like, I know I'm going to know at least one other poet. But yeah, I mean, it's also, so it's going to be emceed by Rosie Garrick and Johnny Fluffy Punk, which is going to be awesome. <laughs> Amazing. It's got Gecko, who's great, Deanna Roger, Layla Josephine, uh, Katie Ailes, who's been on the podcast, Luke Rice, Kate Fox, John Hegley. Um, have John I said Hegley. John Taylor already? I can't remember. Yes. Fucking hell. Amazing. Yes. It's going to be great. It's going to be such a good few days. And mm. yeah, and I get to that go and be there and do my words. Um, and then off the back of that, with a lot of nudging, I have to say, from Hannah and Laurie and with a lot mm-hmm. of thanks f- mm-hmm. to Faye Roberts as well. Um, so it kind of occurred to me because I've been I've been umming and ahhing about doing a pamphlet for ages. And I've been going, no, I'm going to work on it. And I'm going to get perfect. And it's and then I, I haven't really had the space to sit and do that work. Um, and then it was kind of pointed out to me that actually, perhaps if you're going somewhere like Glastonbury, you should have some merch. Um, so on some level, it's a little bit cynical. Um, but um, yeah, so basically I'm a bunch of poems I'm going to have on my set list. I've, I've put together as a pamphlet and it's something that I'm working on with Faye Roberts at the moment. Uh, it's going to be called Where the Lights Come On. Um, and the idea is to get it printed after Glastonbury, <laughs> so end of June. Um, incredible. And I got so... A friend of mine is doing the illustration and uh, I got the illustration, cover illustration yesterday. And I actually, like like I said, I've been quite cynical and quite practical about it. I nearly cried when I saw it. I was just like, oh, it's a book and it's got my name on it. It's going to be the a book. The cover makes it the book, right? Because the writing yeah. and the word documents, that's just normal. But the moment you stick a cover on it, that's when it feels, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my news, which is... That's incredibly that's... exciting. Is that through yeah. um, is that through Allegraphic Press or are you yes, doing yeah. self wonderful? Yes, yeah, it's self publishing, but it's sort of sort of supported self publishing because Faye has all the expertise and the ISBN numbers and stuff. And yes, uh, so yes, it's going to be incredible. Good. That means all dead darling podcast hosts have a have a pamphlet, have a book, right? Yeah, this is true. Multiple books in some cases. Yes. <laughs> enough for a, a wee table at a gig, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should start doing one, shouldn't we? Maybe we need a dead darling shop. Oh God, why am I? Why do I do these things? Why am I just like? Oh yes, I'll just organise oh, all of this. I've had a great uh, idea. Oh no, it's work. Oh yeah, shit. Certainly um, time to get some stickers, you know. Yes, that's true. Well, I was thinking about postcards and things as well uh, at some point. Um, both and potentially t-shirts. Yeah. Anyway, future plans aside, <laughs> shall we do an interview? Let's do an interview. Why not? This month's interview is with Daisy Thurston Gent. Daisy is a poet and producer from Cambridge. Alumni of the Roundhouse Collective 2016, she has performed regularly across the UK and at festivals such as Bestival, Lovebox, Nodstock, Fling Festival and the Edinburgh Fringe. She is a founding member of the London Queer Writers Network, curating monthly open mic events Speak Equal, as well as facilitating regular monthly writing workshops for the LGBTQ plus community in London currently online. 
She has recently been published in Home Anthology by Colliding Lines, Impossible Archetype Journal of LGBTQ plus poetry and in the Bad Betty Shots series three. As a producer, Daisy worked closely with the hashtag Lend Your Voice campaign for the UK lesbian and gay immigration group, leading to their recent bold rebranding to become Rainbow Migration. Daisy led the creative team and technical development agency side for this project. She is one half of Radio Zaddy, a brave little podcast about queer history and lifestyle. She likes Sufjan Stevens, custard and trips that require strong backpacks. <laughs> Daisy, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So, would you be able to kick us off with a poem? Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what? I run a lot of queer events and I, I dip my toe into lots and lots of things around you know, queerness and with capital Q. So I, I got asked to host a poetry night for LGBT History Month in Cambridge, where I'm from. And I realised that I didn't have any kind of exclusively gay poetry. Um, so I decided to write one, as you do. And, you know, there's queerness in everything I write about, but um, I didn't have a kind of overtly queer poem, and I decided to put one together. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'll start with, I'll start with a prayer. Bless this sunny afternoon in a country of soggy summers and every rustle on the heath. Bless the blistering heat of a parade, the one no-coat day of the year, and the inevitable midnight downpour on Stoke Newington Road. Bless the tie-dye from your t-shirt, staining your shoulders, the glitter in your hair for weeks. Bless the bursting life of rattling night buses, the hiss of a red stripe fizzing into existence, corner shop pricing, glory be to drunken bargaining, to the confident late-night barter. Bless Vogue fabrics, bless the smoker's bench, the golden cocks, bless Dalston, bless Clapham, bless the shitty streets of Soho and the nights we never made inside the club. Bless the club, the beat, the night, always the night. Bless the Jago, a home for all the flurried poems, the staff, the smiling at the bar, and bless those carefully candling our coats. Bless late night bakeries, yes, bless bagels, tarts and congealed custard, bless a fist squeezing the lemon. Bless the back streets of Mile End, where your first girlfriend tells you she loves you on the stroke of New Year's and all the clocks reset at once. Go on, bless the exes. Bless the plush of crimson velvet curtains and Kate Bush blasting at the school fashion show while you dance lavishly to try and disperse the fucking dry ice in time for the runway. Models marched out mercilessly. Bless a button missed or left undone or clasped all the way up. Bless... Mate, you look great in that shirt. You should keep it. Bless secondhand bikes and green lights and riding in packs and trusted seats and beams of light that guide the way. Bless the way. Bless those that came before us, the founders and the fathers and the queens. Bless the mess and those who cleared it, built it, tore it up and stitched it better. Bless the first brick and the second and the next, and the one after that, and the rest still yet to be thrown. Bless the party, bless the protest. Bless Claude Cahar and Marcel Moore. Bless Francis Benjamin Johnson larking about on a penny farthing. Bless Derek Jarman's garden, the overgrown weeds and things unruly. Bless Gladys Bentley, Stormo Delarier, Sally Ride and Tam O'Shaughnessy. Bless Marsha P and Mary Reed and ancient Egypt. Bless Nakitnam and Numhotep, their noses pressed face to face in an embrace amidst their grave. Bless very early gaze and early days. And those who didn't make it, bless them anyway. Bless pride. Bless pansies planted by the roadside. Bless all trans lives. Bless the old and bless the new. History is red and green and white and blue and black and polka dot and corduroy hankies tucked into back pockets, left or right, or sometimes both, depending on the night. It's Bono Davadi at Dolly Old Eek, and it's East London Docklands to Jakarta. It's Polari secrecy on the radio. Palomi Omis growing up with Nanti Jarry on the national handbag, fixing their rear in the club loos, leaving lipstick notes to their sisters in the mirrors. It's the soft officers, the hidden coppers, the midnight raids on molly houses, mother claps standing in the pillory. It's watching Brokeback Mountain 
in your hometown local cinema with your mother in what felt like the world's longest sex scene. It's the years between 1988 and 2003. Teachers forced into silence while the bodies of children pile up and a whole generation crawl into themselves. Bless all of us who clawed our way out broke bones and tore new wounds on merciless concrete playgrounds, go on, ask us about history. Expect us to work for free. My gosh, can it be June again already? Ask us about February and we'll say, it's every toilet cubicle you have ever been inside. It's the spit in your hair at the Camden bus stop, mere metres away from the boarded up doors of the gay clubs. It's Elliot's chest, his pecs flexed underneath his t-shirt and a slight smile on the cover of Time magazine. It's trans lives surviving on Time magazine. It's the basement bar, the back of the club, the upstairs room in a cinema. It's a gloomy room full of bottomless hope. The echo and boom of a speaker turning on, a poet fumbling with the jankest of mic stands. A host calling out to a crowd, How's everybody doing? We're good. And a whole room answering back. Thank you. Ooh. Oh, gorgeous. Shoot, that so was a journey. <sighs> I love that one so much because every time I hear it, I think I've forgotten where this is going. And yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a process of remembering almost a process of remembering yeah I mean I you know I've I've started this podcast um well I started a podcast during lockdown and it was a lot of it was about learning or relearning and learning all the things that we didn't get to learn because of various things including section 28 and rediscovering the history that LGBTQ plus people should know and were denied yeah yes because I was thinking when you were talking about section 28 like I don't really remember, like, because, you know, I was at school from 2000 onwards, so, like, there was a point after it was repealed where I was at school, and I don't really remember gay people coming up in sex ed, or gay sex mm. coming up in sex ed at all, and it was, and I mean, there was something about sex ed was largely at my school, if you have sex, you will get pregnant, kind of thing, and, and, mm. and, and the boys will leave, uh so we've just told them that's kind of okay um but there was no like yeah and you know i had very liberal parents so it was kind of you know the existence of the gays was not as big a shock to me as i think it was to other people at school but yeah and i, I know of people who were gay at school and and must have really fucking struggled i don't remember it ever being discussed yeah i didn't know i'd been at school when it had been repealed until like last year i think like and i think mm. it went when i was in something like year 10 um yeah yeah i knew that thatcher had done this shitty thing called section 28 but i didn't know it was still there and you don't know what it means i think and every year i learn more and more and it's it's the lack of for me it's the lack of role models it's the lack of seeing a future a future where i can be who i am and you know love who i love and stand next to the people i'm supposed to be standing next to and as poets, we know we're all we're all weirdos and we're all <laughs> we're all outcasts to some extent. But yeah, I wanted to write a poem yeah. about a, a celebration of um, the the kind of ancient gay history as well, and kind of mm-hmm. role models that I didn't know about and would absolutely have loved to have as pinups on my wall. Yeah, there is something very yeah. special I think about. I've I've probably done some variation on this spiel a few times, but like I was raised by folkies and folk music is trad is everyday life but once it's in a song it lives on you don't need to know that joe bloggs wrote it in such and such village in such and such year it just exists it just is that story now and you've got it and i think there is something very special about poetry as a medium to capture that stuff like i i'm very grateful hosting insight that it is quite an intergenerational queer night and therefore yeah we've Mm. got people who found out they were HIV positive in an era where you didn't know that you'd live to tell the tale. Like, there's Mm -hmm. there's 
all those stories that poetry is such an amazing medium for transmitting stories full stop yeah and we're, we're creating history every time we're in those rooms together whether it's a queer poetry night or you know or whatever it is you're being part of something and you're making a mark and you know there is this kind of this archival process that we are all engaging with um in order to yeah. say look we were here we were here all together and we were listening and we were listening to each other so on that note we've got we've kind of gone off on a little bit of a tangent yeah. which is no. quite <laughs> a good tangent. I love um, tangent i'm going to be trying to derail this as much as i can <laughs> good good i podcast i know how this works she could use our tricks against us um <laughs> we just start by asking i guess how they first got into poetry so i um i have a background in theater and uh, creative writing um and i kind of graduated from university um spring chicken was like i'm gonna you know produce at Battersea art center and live in clapham and uh, on my own and that's a realistic expectation and of course it wasn't and um all my theater friends were all kind of flung apart um, and I was trying to think how I could get you know how I could perform and how I could um, you know get into a space where a stage was and a microphone was um, without you know the stage manager and a producer and a director and all the cast um, and so I, found, I discovered poetry and what I liked about poetry was that the editing would sort of happen in front of the audience and the immediate mm. feedback you get when you can just mm. read some work um, in front of a room full of strangers and get some immediate feedback. And I absolutely craved it. You know, I was listening to a lot of um, Kay Tempest on pod- podcasts where they were saying about just being hungry and jumping on stages and kind of stealing the mic. And I wasn't quite at that stage, but there was definitely <laughs> in my younger years uh, a kind of a fury, you know, within, I, I was just running around trying to perform as much as I could because I loved the immediate feedback and I loved being able to test work and try things out. Um, and, you know, I just moved to London. I was living in a um, a sort of attic room with no windows, paying extortionate rent, thinking, yeah, this is great. Um, <laughs> I'm a real writer. That's how <laughs> I'm, I'm a real writer. <laughs> I'm in the rafters. I'm in a garret. I'm never clear what a garret is, but sounds like the one of those but I'm there you know (laughs) um so that was sort of my way in and you know I went along to a lot of um so I was living in um in Cambridge at the time and I went along to a hammer and tongue um hosted by Faye Roberts and Mm -hmm. um it was just the most incredibly warm um inviting space and I went first um the audience picked out the names from from the hat and uh, my name got pulled and it was my first slam and I went first and um, I, I gave it my all and I managed to come first, which meant that I went Jesus through into the, uh, into the final. And I don't think I've ever been at a poetry night where someone has come first, um, one by going first. And so this was um, a huge kind of high to ride. Um, and I don't think it's ever gone that well since. Um, but it was, a, <laughs> it was a really great introduction. Um, if not unrealistic, but the Cambridge poetry scene is really wonderful because it is, there's such a lot of variation. Um, I think mm. you've both performed in Cambridge, probably at Hammer and Tongue, but you will get all sorts. You'll get, you know, rap, you'll get free verse, you'll get sonnets, and, you know, you'll get little people like me trying out their first, their first slam poem. Yeah, there's kind of the, the academia element brings something slightly interesting to it as well, doesn't it? Because you kind of, yeah, I think in London you kind of get I mean, Hannah's talking about folkies, like my my working theory of poetry scene is you get people who would be rappers at one end, but they're not quite there, uh, or grime artists and people who would be folk singers like me, but they can't sing. Uh, and they kind of meet in the middle uh, with performance poetry. And it's, it's, it's a very flexible model and I'm open to holes being picked in it. But I think within Cambridge, you also get the kind of, yeah, the quite academic uh, sort of, yes, musing kind of very literary poetry almost as well. Absolutely. Um, and then off the back of that, I went to I went to London, I went to the Genesis Slam and I met uh, my first um, London Slam. I met uh, Joel Alderson, I met Jake Wildhall, I met uh, Sarah Hirsch, I met Rick the Most and it was an incredible evening. That is like, like, it's like your fantasy dinner party of London poets. It was, but I didn't know I had to prepare multiple poems. So, you know, all of the kind of what do I have that's under two minutes? You know, I was known for these sprawling unedited narratives um which i still do um 
but it was it was a it was a fantastic night and after that I just became so hungry and I moved to London and the rest is history really um I tried to go to as many nights as I could in a short space of time um you know the baptism of fire and I met some incredible people really incredible people and friends that I still have to this day and hopefully for many more years and there is something about that kind of instant gratification with poetry, right? That like if you're going to write a novel or a play, it's going to take a while and you have to get other people involved and you're going to have other people's yeah. permission to kind of do it almost. What Whereas can I do on my it's own just, tonight? Mm. Yes, I wrote this this afternoon. Here it is. Please applaud. Thank you. <laughs> and it was a good way to get around London, you know. It's a good way to test how, you know, go to a place you would never normally go to. Um, you know Ryan's Bar in Stoke Newton it's the it's these basements you know and in that in my kind of queer poem um, let's call it prayer or let's call it gay poem it's a, it's a kind of homage <laughs> to those spaces you know the upstairs room the basement bar um, you know cinemas all these kind of behind closed doors that are just so inviting um, and you wouldn't know about and I think there's a huge you know connection with with the poetry scene and queerness um, lots of yeah lots of synchronicities absolutely and I think you've kind of come on you've gone on to become an integral part of some of those communities like being part of creating those communities um, and particularly sort of London queer writers as we were saying what do you think it meant for your writing to be part of that kind of queer space and queer community in that way London queer writers it was an opportunity to really champion queer writing and queer writers and especially emerging writers um, there were lots of spaces, particularly, um, you know, held in kind of East London and Dalston that had a lot of queer performers, um, you know, that made the night and at their centre, you know, um, um, Spoken Word London, of course, kind of one of the most prominent ones. There were lots of queer performers um, and we wanted to create a space that was kind of dedicated to um, emerging talent and to have um, people who were working on um, new pieces um you know, to perform alongside quite established acts. And um, what I really took from some of the legacy nights, like Forget What You Heard About Spoken Word, was that they gave opportunities to, to new people on the scene. And through London Queer Writers, we always had um, a performer who was, it was, you know, maybe their first ever set. Um, and I was really grateful of being given those opportunities myself when I was new to London. And I really wanted to continue that. Um, and as a collective, we were you know, we started as a writing collective. Um, we used to meet in a in a pub um, on a Sunday afternoon and test kind of facilitation techniques. We would swap books, we would share poems, and we would write and we would give each other prompts and exercises. And you know, it was a place for friendship and it was a place for for learning. Um, and then after a couple of years, we uh, a couple of people in the group decided that. They wanted to expand it and make it a bit more public. And um, so the night uh, Speak Equal was born. Um, and Speak Equal had a lot of different homes kind of dotting around uh, East London. We were we started off in the basement of Far School of Dancing in Dalston. Um, took a brief um, dip over to Shoreditch at the Water Poet, um, as well as the Westbourne, um, the Metropolitan in Westbourne Park, which was kind of West London. And then back to our kind of inevitable home, which was the Jago in Dalston. Um, and that room is iconic, you know, the former kind of Passing Clouds venue. It was just a fantastic space to be invited to to run a community night at. Um, and that's how that's how we got it, really. It was it was a, a community kind of space um, and they were, you know, they had um, food kitchens um they were having, you know, you could do Spanish lessons, drum lessons. They would obviously have world music nights. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful place to be, um, to have as our, as our home for our monthly night. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you sort of said that, you know, that you've only written the one kind of obviously kind of gay poem. But I just wondered, did kind of being involved in that community, like what did it do for your writing specifically? It was a very um, kind of safe space. And we, we describe ourselves as a kind of safer space or we're trying to be as safe as possible I don't think any night is a, a completely safe space it's very very difficult to do and I think safeguarding should be part of your agenda if you are a, if you are a host and you run events how you will know about this but I think yes yeah, safer spaces and just trying our best to put put community at the center and to put kind of care at the centre of what we were doing, there we wanted to kind of avoid toxicity and just create a space where those, yeah, the othered voices, 
were were celebrated not just kind of heard and you know tolerated it was it was a real place of celebration and that was always the you know the main reason we were doing it you know we wanted the weird and wonderful Mm. on the you talked about the writing workshops which London Queer Writers ran I only ever made it to one because at the time I was dating someone who worked in theatre so Sundays was like the one time they were definitely free and then like the moment I got my ass dubbed I was like I'm over there that's what I'm doing (laughs) (laughs) but that was obviously like an in-person workshop space and then you've been running them online as well what do you find as the sort of differences between them do they how how do you navigate those two different platforms it's very different you know we it's it was very challenging what i love about what i used to love about kind of in-person workshops is you know is that it is a space to you know to meet people and to and to and to write and to we had the speak equal event moved online during the pandemic and it was very you know it was we were encouraging people to be to be loud and to you know, clap and whoop and still try and create that atmosphere, which is incredibly hard to do online mm. over Zoom. It's, yeah, it is incredibly hard to recreate the atmosphere of one of our live shows. And you have to accept that it's going to be different. It's going to mm. be a separate space. Whereas for the workshops, I actually preferred the online workshops because it allowed us to get facilitators from all over the world and mm. to have that moment of, you know, personal reflection and to kind of concentrate really you know if you're facilitating in a room you know there's some extent that you know you can kind of stand up and leave and at at home working online it it just became I just I was incredibly focused and I enjoyed being able to concentrate on you know crafting I, I found it as a you know I found it a lot easier to craft when I had all of my you know all my stuff you know multiple notebooks the internet you know everything I needed a cup of tea yeah everything I needed to to create and to kind of explore um it was just a nice moment to to be on my own with you know with my writing um and uh, travel there is yeah there is something about like I I think I really like doing workshops but I've always really struggled at in-person workshops like I really admire when a poet comes to the stage and it's like oh I wrote this poem in a work workshop last week and it's great and I don't I kind of take away the writing tips but actually I don't think I've ever written anything in a in a a workshop Mm. where I've gone oh this is a great poem and now I have another poem um Mm. whereas I I think when you're at home it's a little bit more relaxed and it's kind of it's not yeah I'm not here to not perform per se but yeah I I I find it more pressured when you're like I have come to this thing I have an hour Mm. whereas you're like oh well I'm sitting at home and I'll switch off the computer and maybe I'll just keep writing for a bit you know yeah there's always Mm. that you know moment of do I have to perform if I'm in a workshop you know who else Mm. is here people are going to witness me do I have to be a certain way um you know if I don't know what someone's talking about I can't just google it um and I do like that you know being able to sort of cheat and look things up and then you know keep finding and keep exploring yeah the workshop comes to an end and you've suddenly got all these notes and you can um you know springboard out and I you know I'm a very disorganized person when I'm in those spaces with my notebooks and Who's to say I'm not going to lose all the pages with all my notes? You know, all those wonderful <laughs> handouts, they'll be you know, left on the night yeah. bus. No, it was, a, it was a really, really nice opportunity, just more to meet people and try. We did a couple of, um, we did a workshop with uh, B.B. June on interactive uh, visual poetry. And we all had, we all worked on the same document. Um, and that would not work in a, in a room. Um, you know, mm. in an upstairs room in a pub in East London. That, that only works if you're all you know, using the technology, um, using the, using, yeah, the good, the good grace of the internet um, to collaborate. And it was a truly collaborative experience. Um, and we got some great stuff out of it. And that was really good fun. Interesting. Actually, this is something I might start adding to our regular roster of questions. Do you write in a notebook or mm. on computer or phone? I write in a notebook. Um, I, I really, yeah, I really enjoy, um, not writing at a at a desk. Um, I work on online on the computer, and I find it terribly uninspiring at the moment. Um, <laughs> I like to yeah, I like to take my notebook and and scribble. Um, but editing, I have to do obviously in a document. Mm. Um, yeah, I feel like the initial kind of first blast of getting everything out of my head onto a page. I love work, 
like writing in a notebook and then I lose it or it will be I have this you know monthly process of looking back through notebooks and writing things up and taking kind of the scraps here or there I don't know if you do the same I do it tends to be a scrap document on my phone I'm terrible for this is the pretty notebook that I'm going to write my magnum opus in and then oh it's yeah. too pretty to ever use <laughs> the pretty notebooks have all gone in the bin they've all gone in the bin they're all messy uh, yeah I think sure. phones and computers not so yeah, computers that are phone I'm a terrible I'm a phone writer I think because I tend to I used to have a very long commute pre-pandemic and a lot of poetry happened on that commute mm, yeah because um, it's on my phone yeah, it is a good time. You know, I used to write a lot on the on the bus, um, and I, I use you know I use Google Docs, um, so I'm quite dependent on having an internet connection. But I, and for a long time, I didn't have an iPhone. I didn't have a Notes app. Um, I had a terrible, I think it was a Sony phone, which didn't have a Notes app, and so I found it really oh. hard to to capture things. Um, and so I would have to rely on having a you know a, a notepad somewhere. Um, but now I have a, a much long-awaited upgrade. I have a, a Google phone now, so thank goodness I have my Android uh, Notes app. But it's it's there, and it's yeah. If you don't write on your on your phone, are you even a poet? I'm not a poetry <laughs> snob when it comes to where you write. The vessel is the vessel. Yeah, it needs to happen. And it's that, that when you're trying to remember a line because you're like, that's good, that's good. I must remember it in my head, and I have nothing to write it down on. And I will not. I will not remember. Mm, free writing yeah, no. is the way forward you know I do a lot of kind of tra- you know stream of consciousness writing and I really what I really like about having a poetry workshop is that somebody gives you a prompt you know I will famously kind of yeah. ring friends up or text someone or voice note someone and say just give me a prompt read me like the first line of any book you have like within grabbing reach please just give me a line um, and I love just free writing and kind of riffing and, and doing that thing of you know a bit of a brain dump finding where finding what I want to to write about getting it all out and then to keep going you know to push further and further open the door where does it go where am I now change direction I love that that style of um I love free writing as a way to to begin any kind of session any any writing session whether it's Mm. kind of self-opposed or not cool so uh you've featured as we sort of said in the intro you featured at a really impressive array of festivals now this question is not entirely selfish uh genuinely (laughs) like you've performed at loads but I did wonder what advice do you have for poets about performing at festivals I love performing at festivals um I haven't done so in a a number of years but um especially during uh the Roundhouse Poetry Collective you get taken to a bunch of festivals and it's really good fun and very good practice um it's very good practice in creating a small intimate crowd um because not everybody is going to listen there is going to be people wandering in and out and you can't be offended if if mm-hmm. you're not their cup of tea. There's no time for that. And I think, I, I remember the first festival I did, it was very much like, come in, come in, come in. And we spent a long part of our kind of allocated time saying, come in, come in. And there were already, you know, six or seven people in front of us. And that doesn't sound like a huge number. But if those people are engaged and listening, perform your heart out mm. to those people. And it's, mm. yeah, creating that intimacy. And those people are listening. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, the person kind of lingering half in, half out. Don't worry about them. Um, you know, look at the people right in front of you. And that might that might be one person um, and they might be, you know, nodding off. <laughs> but have fun <laughs> with it. And, yeah, I've, I enjoy, I just enjoy the kind of the freeness of, of festivals and the fact that you can just kind of riff off what's happening. You can read the room a lot quicker than... Um, sometimes a lot quicker than at an open mic night and, it, and know that it can change and it really keeps you on your toes um so I think yeah the only advice I would have is 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 have fun with it and perform to who's in front of you and not worry about the size of the crowd um because it's not it's not a reflection on you um and if you've mm. ever been to a festival you do come and go and if someone has bothered to to sit down especially um, there's a lot of sitting down at poetry shows at festivals um have a bit of a you know have story time um Mm. and know that it's okay if people get up and get up and go something i'd add to that um is because people a lot of people aren't very comfortable with poetry as a concept and yet when they hear some they'll actually really enjoy it but like think of it as outreach so there are going to be people who haven't (laughs) listened to a poem outside of someone's wedding or school for 
decades yeah. and therefore like as an as a performer like you're used to your audience letting you know when they enjoy it and you know laughing when there's a funny bit and whatever and i've been a i've been a like little sm- I mean, i've not done glasto like this is this is a whole new scale but like i've been a smaller much smaller festivals doing poetry and i really thought i was bombing no one was making no one was like laughing in the bits where they usually laugh or clapping in the bits where i expect or whatever and then throughout the day i kept bumping into people who'd evidently been in the audience and they were going oh i really liked you one about such and such and so like yeah they're, oh, they're wow. not a poetry audience but that doesn't mean that they're not enjoying it it's very refreshing actually to perform not to a, a poetry crowd you know that there's but any good festival that's worth its you know worth itself has a poetry offering now um you know literary tents it's the same as having a comedy tent same as having um you know theater tent it is a it is a key offering and i think the glastonbury stage is is a really sought after space because you do get people who attend for that space and there's going to hopefully be hundreds of people there um but it, it might be some people's first time you know some people don't don't know about the london poetry scene and may not have a, a poetry night that happens locally um they might go to mixed events where there's going to be comedians followed by you know musicians and maybe there'll be one maybe two if you're lucky poets on the bill um, and it's a very different audience it's a very different crowd um and I always used to think about, you know, trying to win people over or, you know, representing. But actually, it's not about that. It's just about, um, yeah, telling a story and the people who are engaged. Poetry is quite intimate. And if, if you're not used to it, um, that can be a very, you know, um, illuminating experience, mm. you know, being in an audience and hearing um, that kind of honesty and, and also finding those moments of hilarity um, and tenderness that you get in lots of good poems. That might be quite shocking. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be interesting. I tell you what, the, the application process, because it is shares with the theatre and circus tent, it was like, do you have any fire in your act? <laughs> I was like, I mean, no, but... That's enough. That, that would make me anxious. Yeah. Shit, should I? should I have pyrotechnics? Damn it. Right, what am I missing? Right. <laughs> Every good poet worth their salt has fireworks. I mean, a not of the metaphorical variety. Like, wow. yeah. Actually, on that, I'm, I'm going to take that as my pivot because, Daisy, like, you're a producer. <laughs> you, I'm sure, have worked with all kinds of unusual specifics. How does working as a producer and that whole world then interact with your poetry? Does it inform it? Do they inform each other? Tell us things, please. <laughs> they do. Um, it's You're a lot more aware of... Uh, you're a lot more I think it's made me a much more conscious performer it's made me conscious about um you know access it's made me conscious about even my timings you know what why am I in that space um is everybody you know is everybody right as a producer with yeah having my producer hat on I have to make sure that um kind of the room is is functioning um I have to be responsible for so everybody in the room you know not only the the talent um, who are kind of on the stage, but how, you know, how are the, how's the venue doing? How are the bar staff feeling? Um, how have we got to that point and what happens afterwards? Um, you have to think, you know, the timeline flows through, you know, that kind of snapshot where the poetry happens. Um, and, you know, I don't just produce for, for poetry. I, I, I produce in my, in my kind of regular job as well. And it's made me very, um, I don't like to host if I'm also producing an event. I don't know how people do that. Mm. Um, it's it's very difficult, isn't it? You know, um, as a as a host, you want to um, you want to show up and and do your thing and be you know responsible for the audience and have a good time um, and set the stage. But you don't want to be worrying about all the other things. And I think people who do both, um, Hannah, it's it's very admirable. Um, I would, as a producer, I like to give. Um, you know the platform to someone else and I think hosting is, in, is an incredible skill um, and I think that should be a, you know it should stand on its own um, in the same way that performing you know and everything else all those roles that you need and having a big team like we do at London Queer Writers has been crucial absolutely crucial from the from the get-go. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting it strikes me like this conversation I feel like we're sort of circling around this thing where you come into poetry and you go this is great I want to do this I want to get up and perform oh these people are great 
oh look there's a community i want to be part of that i want to make things for them oh we're doing an event oh actually this is a bit more than just getting up on stage and being a bit energetic isn't it there Mm. are roles and there are things we have to think about and it kind of yeah it's a whole cycle of kind of it being a really accessible art form but then going oh actually maybe we should try and do this properly maybe we should try and do it like art and and think about it Mm. sort of you know in a slightly more kind of oh this is a performance this is a this is a a thing that we are putting on that we are marketing to people all that sort of thing um but there's still that sort of slight oh I just want to rush in and do it as well yeah which I think is lovely it's, it's knowing what else is out there and it's doing your research and it's 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 attending events it's a it's seeing when things work and when things really don't and we've all been in um, an audience where things haven't worked um but a lot of the time you know things go wrong all the time but if you've got a producer who's looking after everybody it doesn't matter if things go wrong because they've thought of that <laughs> and you're in good hands yeah cool and so kind of we were talking about prompts earlier uh, do you have a piece of advice or a prompt you'd like to share with our listeners so we always talk about um about just reading as much as you can and um and writing as much as you can in response like every time you've read um i don't know a collection you like i would always say try and write um a response to it just as you know just for yourself um it can be your review but i would say my my prompt i'm really in i'm really interested in um sort of the nostalgia around food um and and whether that's kind of taste or scent but i think using food as memory and uh, as a starting point to write a poem um i'm very interested in that and i've read a couple of um i'm staying in glasgow at the moment and there's lots of incredible places to to eat there's incredible food smells wafting through the window all the time and I think it's such a a great catalyst to talk about memory um and you know specificity and I think writing about food is is really good fun there's a couple of poets who do it really really well um Hannah Roman Cox is one of them um Mm. and I think basing collections around uh, around food um is really interesting um so I would say yeah have a have a think about what what food's kind of there's lots of poetry about food um and i would say yeah write about it write about the things that get you to remember amazing uh, brilliant and uh, before we ask you for another poem to sort of play yourself out uh, is there anything you'd like to plug so you can find me on um, instagram i don't have a poetry specific instagram um it's just kind of me laid bare um being a kind of big queer out in the world um I'm on Instagram as Daisy TG. Um, I also uh, produce and uh, facilitate poetry workshops and events with London queer writers who are just London queer writers um, on all of the platforms. And um, as you mentioned, I do have a podcast, um, which is a, a queer podcast about kind of lifestyle and, and queer history and sort of rediscovering queerness in unlikely places, which is called Radio Zaddy, uh, radio as in radio and zaddy x-a-d-d-y and i think those are the the three main main places you can find me usually i'm backstage um making things happen in in the background um (laughs) but sometimes i i I get up and whether it's a festival whether it's just an open mic these days um i can be coaxed onto stages yeah i do have this image of sort of seeing you like because london queer writers had so many members or always so many people on stage and then you would almost be kind of like just this little figure weaving in and out of them like sorting microphones out and sort of doing other things and sort of i'm off now um kind of little little producer fairy yeah i I did have a lot of um you know a lot of stage fright for a while and i didn't like i didn't enjoy performing um if i was in any way uh, you know helping out with the event um they were two different hats for me. Hmm. And where do you think that stage fright came from? And is that something you still experience now? Or, or do you think it's sort of you've moved away from it? I did think it came from having a bit of imposter syndrome. I, I fell into a job where I was doing a lot more um, producing and kind of I wasn't in front of the camera. I wasn't in front. I wasn't on the stage. I was in the background making things happen. And I really enjoyed the kind of organisational function of my job and making things happen bringing things to life but I didn't like 
being on stage for some reason I, I didn't feel um safe and I don't mean that in a in a in the sense that I was in danger you know there was no pyrotechnics um but there was a point in the um in the kind of the journey that I was on in through the London poetry scene where I didn't feel like um I had the space to kind of experiment and, and be messy and to and to write about um the topics I wanted to write about or that they would be they would be heard and I think part of London Queer Writers was that there was this um yeah, an element of openness and, and inclusivity, which thankfully a lot, you know, the London poetry scene has pulled its socks up a bit and there are some really great inclusive spaces now. Um, but for a while it was it was a sort of response to that, really, um, mm-hmm. wanting to hear those unlikely stories and not have it kind of overly saturated um, and to have a, a space for softness, really, and for quiet and for the stories that we don't hear as often. Mm. makes a lot of sense um brilliant uh so uh, on that note is there a poem you'd like to share with us to kind of play yourself out absolutely i'll um i'll do a an old an old poem this is old shit old shit um (laughs) this is uh called uh make lemonade they said when they told me to loosen up i took to the kitchen cupboard and i swallowed a whole bottle of fabric softener When they said get lost, I burnt all my father's maps, stuck my shoes on backwards and headed for the wrong turn. You already know this one. It's called When Life Gives You. It's called Where Does the Tough Go When the Going Gets? Stranded nearly 20 years away, the word, an uncorked wine bottle, complete with stopper. What's the opposite of rotten? Go with that. A brutal sunset in the south of France, dusk with a thirst of its own, the smell of grapes ripening. The patter of old men throwing metal balls one after the other in a grown-up sandpit, murmuring in a language I will never quite master, but years later will make pretty girls sing to me in as we glide through London markets. What's the opposite of hesitant? Go with that. Conjure the dead, rat, brimming with maggots beneath the billboard. Tearing away from that as fast as I could, breath catching haggard in my lungs. If you look, there are clues nestled in my blood. If you look, there are clues nestled in my blood. My legs burn. I run until I am lost. A thousand wriggling certainties. I wonder, will this always be how I see death? Chewing its way out from the inside slow moving and savage when they told me when life gives you something within started fermenting our past is a cacophony of deep breaths with acidic tendency where does the tough go when the going gets there is no space in my fridge i've made so much lemonade when you go there are no maggots No rats, no tattered billboards. There's no grisly end to plaster the throwaways with, though there is plenty of wine. Corks line the bar top. And we sell up the sunset and quietly move on with our lives. So, Hannah, before we finish up, what should our listeners be looking out for this month? So the New Writers Poetry Competition is open. It closes on the 12th of July and it is open to writers from anywhere in the world as long as you are 16 or over. It does cost a tenner to enter and then there's sort of discounts if you're entering more pieces. But £1 from every entry was donated to First Story. Um, so if you have something that is 40 lines or less, it's a good one to get your get your poetry gongs in. <laughs> Um, like even being long listed is pretty damn cool yeah that's my hot tip how about you Rebecca Uh, so I've got two I've got one which is a Christmas poem one so (laughs) Candlestick Press which do kind of lots of pamphlets and things yes they are releasing a pamphlet for Christmas so they're getting started now they're being very organised and forward thinking about it 
they're looking for six poems that will oh it actually will be published in October presumably in time to sell oh. for Christmas and to buy for Christmas mm-hmm. and we know that our listeners do have a lot of Christmas poems up their sleeve because we've done several years of Christmas mm-hmm. stockings so uh, so uh, if if that hasn't been published anywhere uh, you should probably look into this uh, poems should be no longer than 37 lines including title and stanza breaks oh, wow. it must be new unpublished and not submitted anywhere else and you just have to go to their website and you have to purchase a pamphlet from their website which I think is fair enough actually if you yeah. kind of want to get published by somebody like engaging with their work I think is a <laughs> is a fair enough one but for that you can enter two poems um, so yeah, for more on that, go to candlestickpress.co.uk forward slash competitions. And I think the theme is a walk at Christmas specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one that I've got is Grimoire magazine. Amazing name. Is looking for... Yes, right? <laughs> uh, so Grimoire is a, basically an evil spell book kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. So it's a book of mag- dark I magic know. or sort of book of magic and knowledge. I don't know when that stops being a book of shadows it, it's not uh, or where the lines are between. But yeah, it's a magic-y it's a, book. I mean, I feel like Grimoire is, Grimoire is a word that like... Like, I think you can actually get Grimoires, like actual Grimoires from back in the day and they were more sort of... They weren't just like... It's not just like, oh, fantasy. It was like... No, this is kind of arcane knowledge as well, mm. I think. I think like, they, they do actually mm. exist. Um, but um, so, uh, yes, it's Grimoire magazine and their call for submissions is um, their theme for the next edition is Medusa, the Stone Cold Bitches issue. Uh, so, yeah, so if you've got a, a poem about a, a woman with sort of nefarious intent or just, you know, doesn't take shit from people, the two could be easily confused, but are slightly different. <laughs> um, but if you've got those... You know, I think they want to hear Amazing. from you. The deadline for that is August the 1st. You win £20 and you get featured. So it's not a huge prizes, but it's nice to have your poem somewhere. And it sounds like a really interesting yeah. uh, issue. And uh, yeah, for more on that, go to uh, We Are Grimoire. So Grimoire is G-R-I-M-O-I-R-E dot com. And uh, look for the submissions page. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting Shoot. one. So uh, anything you want to plug? Uh, I am Hannah Chutzpah on all of the platforms, Chutzpah, C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H. I am the host of Insight Cabaret, Insight spelled as in Insight a Riot, I-N-C-I-T-E, not as in deep personal insight. Riots, not thoughts. Um, And Insight Cabaret is a LGBTQ plus uh, spoken word gig, which is monthly. It is completely free. It is mostly on Zoom post-pandemic with the odd in-person one straight allies are extremely welcome in the audience but the open mic is specifically for queers but if you are anywhere under the queer umbrella including the questioning element and you would like to hear see and participate in some incredible stuff you can find us as insight insight poetry on facebook and insight cabaret on instagram and twitter amazing and you can find me on twitter and tiktok as at rebecca k cooney Instagram is at any name but Becky. Facebook as Rebecca Cooney dash poet. And my website is Rebecca K Cooney dot WordPress dot com. And if you happen to be going to Glastonbury Festival, mm-hmm. I promise not to be a complete twat about it regularly, but I'm still quite excited. So if you happen to be going to Glastonbury Festival, please do get in touch. Say hi. Come see me. And uh, yeah, my um, my pamphlets where the lights come on will be available from the end of June. Uh, presumably I will set up a big cartel or something. I haven't quite got that far, but yes, uh, probably from RebeccaKCooney.wordpress.com. Yeah. Um, so that's Ooh. quite exciting. Yay. Um, in the meantime, you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram as at Dead Darlings Pod, Facebook and as Dead Darlings Podcast, and you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so with money by donating to our coffee page. So that's ko-fi.com forward slash Dead Darlings Podcast, or you can just leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts and help <laughs> us spread the word. Thank you to our guest. Daisy Thurston Gent uh, to my co-host Hannah Hutzberg to Texas Radio for our theme music and to you for listening. Normal service will be resumed shortly and we thank you all (laughs) for bearing with us at the moment. It's all a bit chaotic. We're humans going through some human stuff. Yeah, going through some human stuff and doing full-time jobs and ah, but but hopefully we should have some good stuff coming up later in the year. Hope uh, hope you're well and hope you're looking after yourselves.
I've talked myself into a corner now. <laughs> I can't stop. Thank you for listening to Dead Darlings and see you next month. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Hello, Hannah and Rebecca. The more observant of our listeners to Dead Darlings podcast might have noticed that I'm not with you this month. Uh, the reason for that is that I'm up in sunny, lovely Edinburgh uh, for a few days off. I mentioned to you guys last night that I was sitting in the Banshee Labyrinth, which is kind of our home away from home when we are in Edinburgh, and you said, oh, record a poem of the month there. So I've gone back today to record a poem of the month there, but unfortunately they're not open for another three hours, so I'm sitting on the steps opposite on Nidri Street. There's a lady singing uh, as she walks past, and uh, I'm going to record my poem of the month here, which I hope is... It's close enough, I feel like the spirit of the Banshee is inhabiting me. Um, this poem is more of a prophecy of something that I was expecting to happen um, and was always going to happen in May 2023, a month just gone. So uh, I don't know whether it entirely came true exactly like this, but uh, I like to think it did. So this is a poem called Live Action Little Mermaid. Live Action Little Mermaid was a short film. Actors aren't built to breathe underwater. Ariel drowned first day of the shoot. Ursula insisted on scuba kit, but the lighting director moaned about the goggles glare. So the sea hag quit, traced a trail of stubborn ink to her trailer on the shore. Eric stayed landlocked, married a dusty milkmaid from Elsinore leaving just Sebastian and Flounder, sobbing and singing to a salt-crusted set as the credits floated upscreen. screen.